Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I'm, of course, Alex, your host, and today we have another interview today. Today we have Greg Rodersheimer, and Greg is the host of the Suburban Folk Podcast, where he talks about personal finance, healthy living, and parenting, or what I like to call the holy trinity of my recently discovered suburban life. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. I'm excited to be here. Well, good. Everyone's been excited so far. I think I might just be threatening. <laughs> well, you know, at least uh, excitement is better than boring. I feel like that's the actual opposite of exciting. People say like love, hate, but actually boring is the opposite of love, not hate. <laughs> well, definitely. And I'd argue, especially in the case of me and my girlfriend, that hate also is love. <laughs> <laughs> as, as long as you're getting interaction, that's all you can ask for, I guess. Just something, as long as you're not getting the silent treatment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because then I, I live by the mantra that if you're getting the silent treatment, that means they're probably plotting your demise. So at least keep the communication going, even if it's a, a rough communication. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, Greg, we have you on the show this week because you are in a very unique position financially, and that is that you are very close. You are right there on the edge to being financially independent. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I've got certain dates and milestones circled on my calendar. And if everything goes to plan right around when I turn 40, maybe 41, I should be at financial independence. Alrighty. So we are here today to talk about what is financial independence? What do you do to work towards it? A lot of people mention the FIRE movement. What is that? And those are the questions we are hoping that Greg can help us with today. So Greg, if you would be so kind, how do you define financial independence? So I'll start with the most obvious definition, I guess, which is the emphasis on independence and being able to do the things that you want to do with your life without having to really consider how much is coming in from your day job or said a different way. If you're in a job and you either just hate it from start to finish, or you're being asked to do things that you don't want to do or don't fit your life goals, then you have the ability to move on and you're not going to be facing periods of money not coming in and then you can't pay your bills or can't pay your mortgage, anything like that. So that's the general idea of financial independence slash retire early. I think the other concept that really sets it apart is when you interact with a financial advisor, more often than not, they're going to talk about an age. Of course, they're going to start with 65 because that's been the standard retirement age and then work backwards as far as how much you think you're going to spend, what are your current investments, how much are you saving year over year. And when I think of financial independence and retiring early, kind of go the other way around of looking at how much you're able to save, being very mindful of what your costs are month over month, and then figuring out how early you can retire. So don't really... I would argue even arbitrarily put a age when you think you're going to retire, see where you can support yourself based on the savings that you have in front of you. Another concept that you have to be able to separate if you're going to retire early is, of course, for your standard investment vehicles like your 401ks, your IRA, the various things that you would have through your employer, you can't take that money out until you're 59 and a half. So 
if you plan to be financially independent and retire early, you've got to have other investment vehicles that are going to bring money into you on a monthly, quarterly basis, depending on the investment. And that's what you're going to use to pay your bills, just like you would be doing with your regular paycheck. To me, that's the main considerations when you're deciding if you're going to be in a position to retire early or not and be financially independent. And then, of course, you got to have the roadmap for getting there, which I know we'll get into quite a bit more, at least as far as what my journey has been. Oh, definitely. And me being the nerd that I am, the one sentence definition that I like to use for financial independence, which a lot of people all also use, is having enough income coming in from your own assets to where if you wanted to, you wouldn't have to have a job. That's sort of my one sentence definition or how to sum it up. But honestly, just you saying that just knocks something loose in my head. And now I got a soapbox rant for, <laughs> for a minute here. <laughs> So Let's hear it. what most people think retirement is, is, okay, you go to high school, you either go to college or not, you work all the way till age 65, and then you retire. And we get that ideal from the 1940s, because that's when Social Security starts paying out. Basically, they thought, oh, you work till you die. And then, you know, a bunch of senior citizens had health problems, and then they brought up Social Security and they go, okay, when, what are we going to put this at? 65. So, Greg, I don't I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but do you know why they chose 65? Well, I would imagine that there are actuaries that figured out the percentage of the population that was going to make it to that age or above that age, which I assume is continually in the political world, whether or not that age should be uh, raised or not. Well, how they did it, you're close. But they did definitely use some statistical data like a lot of actuaries do. But they weren't looking for quite that. They set it at 65 because that was the average life expectancy for an average man in America. With the idea being that you're going to work until you die. You're expected to die at 65. And you're probably not going to be able to work past that. So because you you know are physically and so unhealthy, unable to work past that, in the unlikely event that you do, we've got you covered. Here's your Social Security. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty much what I was figuring. I was trying to be maybe a little less morbid, assuming maybe there were a few years <laughs> calculated in there that they were going to spot you. But it makes complete sense that, uh, no, they figure it'll be right up into that point <laughs> that you die and they don't have to pay out anything yeah, altogether. It's, really, it's social insurance. Like, hey, we can't have all these 70-year-olds out on the street starving and begging. So in the unlikely event that you live past when you're supposed to, then we've got you covered. And then you get the ideal of modern retirement, which, of course, since the 1940s, the average life expectancy has jumped to, what, 77, 78? Right. So modern retirement has turned into, oh, well, yeah, it's still 65. Social Security, they never changed the age to match life expectancy. So then you get this, oh, well, I guess Social Security is 65, so I should just stop working. Yeah, and I would say for the uninitiated into retirement planning for traditional retirement. <laughs> I don't feel like there's anybody that's in the millennial generation and possibly even in the Gen Xers that feels social security is going to be there, at least in its current form, to rely on as a significant amount of your retirement. So it's maybe just as well to remember where social security came from and expect that it's entirely possible there will be updates to it that 
you won't be able to realize that much benefit from it until frankly, you're almost at end of life. At least that's my mindset that <laughs> when I put all of my finances down, if I get social security of any kind, it is literally a bonus as far as, Ice as, on far the as I'm concerned. And I bring that up because so right now, the modern thought process of retirement is you work until 65 and then you retire and you never have to work again because social security and your own personal savings. That is based on history. My daddy worked at 65. My great granddaddy worked until he was 65, yada, yada, yada. And all of that is based upon I'm going to work until I die. And that's the basis of retirement in America. Like, oh, I'm going to work till 65 and that's it. And the reason that's there is because, oh, I'm going to work till I die. And financial independence, at least in my personal belief, is the rejection of that. It's I'm not going to work till I die. I'm going to work until, you know, I feel like stopping work. I'm going to build up this financial fortress to where I'm getting an income. I don't have to work until I die. And you know what? I'm going to retire when I can, not until, you know, I was expected to die if I was in the 1940s. Yeah. And I am definitely theorizing when I say this, but that seems to go a little bit hand in hand with the old version of working that I work for the same company for 30 years. I've got a pension, which God bless you if you actually have access to a pension at this point. I've never <laughs> worked anywhere that offered that. Um, and so with that changing, there's also, I think, less of a sense of security with your career. And then this takes us back to some of those considerations for financial independence. You don't want to be laid off and not have any money to cover your costs until you find that next job. And I think the latest stat I've heard is most people wouldn't be able to cover a $400 emergency because they're living yeah. paycheck to paycheck. So that just shows you that the majority of Americans are in a tough spot when it comes to relying on that day job. So it's realizing that part of it and then really amping it up to another level to say, you know what, not only do I want to make sure that I can cover the unknown if I would lose my job and whatever the amount of time it is to get my next job, but you know what, if I can completely support myself with investments and savings so that I can take my time and heck, depending on what your situation is, if you just don't want to be in the career path you're in, you want to try something completely different, you have the ability to do that. And so I think those go hand in hand as well, that uh, people have probably rejected the idea of working until you die, and then also acknowledging the continued uncertainty that tends to come with corporate America. Absolutely. Especially when loyalty went out the window. There's not a you're working for 30 years, then you get a gold watch and a pension. There's you're working until I feel like firing you. <laughs> and then yeah. here's your 2% 401k match. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, and I think that really these concepts will just grow in popularity. Something that I'm really big on is the gig economy or your side hustles. And I think they have a two-part role to play. One is building your skills, building your network, but then also having the ability to be flexible in taking a turn into a different career path. Or again, if the career you have has a bump in the road, <laughs> we'll say, <laughs> then you've got some other options going on. And I think the more people get used to that, or at least speaking for myself, being able to have my hands on a lot of different things, I like that. 
And it also makes me want to be in a position where I can control my own destiny and again, not having to come into the exact same cubicle and desk every single day and doing the same thing every single day. You have some options. So for somebody like me that definitely considers myself a jack of all trades and certainly a master of none, <laughs> uh, it, it suits my personality well. Well, sounds like it. it. Sounds like you got a lot of information and I I completely derailed the whole thing with my rant. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, let, let's get a little bit back on topic here. So what what is your story? Not just with financial independence, but you know, what's your life like? Did you go to college, graduate, saving? How did you get into this financial independence? And how'd you get towards your podcast while we're at it? Sure. And I think they go hand in hand because the podcast is one example of me wanting to do a lot of different things. And even the topics that I cover uh, are varied enough that it keeps my interest and is really bringing together a lot of the things that I like to do. So yeah, I went to a regular four-year college. Knock on wood, I did not follow the stereotypical path that we hear for millennials. I went to the school, frankly, that gave me the most money. And also they had frozen tuition. And what that means is whatever the tuition was for my freshman year, it would not go up throughout my four years there, which for those that went through undergrad, that's actually a pretty nice perk. And I worked the entire time that I was in school. My favorite story that first gave me the introduction to gig economy and again, getting my hands on a lot of different things, I couldn't find a summer job between my sophomore and junior year. So I stayed on campus and worked there to make a little bit of extra cash. And just for fun, I did the local musical that was going on. Sure enough, in my junior year, the guy that was the music director became the director of the chamber singers at the college the very next year. He happened to run into me on campus and said, hey, they gave me a couple three, $4,000 scholarships and I can pretty much just give them out. I need some more guys to sing. Would you be willing to do it? Yeah, sure. I can do that. Uh, so I scored, you know, a, a couple extra scholarships there for the last couple of years of school by A, networking and B, getting into some new skills. And I, I think that really started to set me off on the overall path to looking at a lot of different hobbies and interests and also how can you monetize them? I wasn't at that point really focused on financial independence or anything like that, but it definitely got me into some of those habits. And something else that I was reflecting on not that long ago that ended up helping me. I was in bands for years and years and I played in a college band. So we found an ad in like the local guitar magazine and it said guaranteed record contract. So we get our money together. I want to say it was like 500 bucks for them to create your demo and shop it out to labels. At least of course, that's what they're saying. And it says, if we can't get you a contract in, I think it was like six months, something like that we give you your money back. So, hey, what do I have to lose? Sure, let's see what happens. So get to the end of this contract period. We get a contract. Thank goodness I knew one person that actually was in the music industry a bit that was willing to look at this thing. And it was a complete joke. Basically, <laughs> you were paying for your own recording, paying for your own distribution, et cetera, et cetera. And 
and they'll take their cut. Just yeah, exactly. And they were just pay so it was my first time being swindled. <laughs> uh, which the reason that ended up being a good thing is it made me very skeptical of any money situations at all. And you know, for that to be a five hundred dollar lesson, that's actually not that expensive. There's certainly way worse stories for people losing money and and getting cheated out of something. So those couple of stories I think are what really put me in a good position coming out of college. I came out with about $13,000 in debt, which is not that bad, I think, compared to what the no, average is. And I immediately started throwing money at it. I wanted to have that debt gone. I'd been saving for it my whole life up to that point, of course. So I just wanted to completely be done with it. And really, it was not long after that when I was paying that off and looking to really get a good footing into retirement and so on that I also started checking into my other skills. For example, I am a guitar player. So I started doing guitar lessons where I was not able to play in bands and stuff anymore where I could. And I started doing soccer refereeing at some point to get some extra money. And hey, it's also a little bit of a health benefit. Other things sort of historically, I became an accidental landlord for anybody that that's familiar with 2007 and 2008. That's when I bought my house. <laughs> and when uh, I moved to Virginia, where I am now, I was going to lose money. I wasn't willing to lose money on it. So I was able to rent it out, learned a lot as far as how to handle uh, rental property and uh, being able to actually make a little bit of money on that. So that was also a great experience. But all of that culminating into when I really thought of financial independence and retiring early as a possibility is two things. One, my wife is a physician and med school debt is really expensive. <laughs> uh, the way I describe it is it was a six figure debt and the first number of that six figures was not a one. <laughs> so once she got done with residency, we attacked it really, really hard. And the other cool mindset thing is once you pay off something like that, like mortgages seem not so bad, <laughs> at least to handle and potentially have something that you're able to pay off in the future. And we were very diligent about that. And then once uh, we had our children, I definitely want to be there for them as much as I possibly can, be as flexible as I can when they get into sports or other activities and things like that. And that's really, really when I started to crunch the numbers and see what the next few years would look like so that I was able to be flexible. Uh, and again, going back to what our definition is as far as financial independence is concerned, it doesn't necessarily mean that the day you hit that number, whatever job you're in, you have the fantasy walk into the boss's office and okay, I'm done. I mean, I guess it is if you really hate what you're doing that much. But for me, I actually have a really nice balance right now. Uh, my day job is very engaging. Uh, actually, I've been a remote worker for over a year before COVID hit. And now everybody is a remote worker, which has really helped with flexibility uh, for getting the kids to daycare and again, doing the activities that they happen to be doing. So I'm really lucky in that standpoint. But if something would change. One thing that I point out a lot is travel, for example. I definitely see people in the corporate world who can travel a lot and it seems like they miss out on a lot of things for their kids. If, if I got to that point where I think it was having a detriment to my family, then you know it would be time to have some conversations and uh, figure out what the next steps would be. But again, knock on wood, at this point, that's, that's not the case. And then moving over to the podcast, 
So you said the Holy Trinity, and that's that's a very nice and exciting way to talk about <laughs> suburban <laughs> topics. And actually, when I described the show, I intentionally said suburban for two reasons. One, I've lived in suburbia nearly my whole life. And then two, I feel like people always dog on suburbia saying that it's cookie cutter and you're just going to soccer practice with your kids and stay home and watch Netflix and that's it. And everything else is going on in the city. You can't do anything else. So it's kind of my way of saying, hey, suburbia is not so bad. We've got some exciting things going on, but it also encompasses the topics that I like to talk about. Of course, as you can tell, personal finance is one of my favorites and is always in the forefront of any of the topics that we get into. But um, I, I really like to emphasize health. Again, going back to as much as I am financially conscious. When I hear people say, oh, I'm super stressed out, I'm having heart palpitations, I'm taking anti-anxiety medication, I'm thinking that is literally the definition of a job not being worth it. If it's being that much of a detriment to your health, because as they say, the one thing that you can't buy back is time. That's the one thing that we all get the same amount. And I'm being kind of melodramatic, but you know, <laughs> on the back end, if it's causing you health problems that could shorten your lifespan or anything like that, like that, that's just doesn't make sense. Uh, so I like to go through health topics, again, educating even myself and also making sure people realize that there does need to be a balance in that world. And then home improvement is another one that I think is very uniquely suburban. Obviously, from a financial standpoint, if you can be DIY and be savvy with contractors, things like that, your kids save a boatload of money. And I think it helps you just with amassing a lot more skills. Parenting is something I want to continue to get better at. We can always get better at that. There's no perfect parent out there and just compare different ways of doing things. So I think that's a really important topic for folks. And travel is really the one that you don't have to travel, certainly if you're in suburbia or otherwise. I just really like to. I am very much a experience purchases over stuff purchases type of person. So I've had a blast being able to talk to people from all over the world, frankly, and hearing what their travel experience has been, talking about how they are able to get into different cultures and sort of checking things off of what my bucket list may be in the travel world. And I encourage everybody to be able to, to do that. So I know that was a very long explanation for who I am and, and how the show came about. But but that's in a nutshell where I'm at and kind of what my financial journey has been. I don't know. I mean, by my count, that's what, 12 minutes to go over, uh, what, 35 years of life? <laughs> yeah, well, there there is a lot in there. And I, I like to think stories help illustrate for others uh, where they might be able to go with their own journeys. Because something else I think I like to emphasize is that at no point did I have some major amount of money sort of fall in my lap or anything like that. There's the diligence that definitely goes along with having a savings goal, sticking with that goal, and through the power of compound interest and just using all of the different investment avenues that you have, and, and you can get to where you want to go. So that's why I think it's important to hit some of these very specific stories of things that people can do pretty quickly. Again, for example, anybody can go through an inventory of their own skills and figure out what they can monetize. I don't know if Craigslist is even much of a thing anymore, but heck, go out to Craigslist and see what people are advertising that, uh, <laughs> that they can do for, for money. Um, it's, it's a worthy activity to get people to think about different ways to do it. Yeah, just definitely make sure uh, to check what categories you're in for Craigslist. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah definite emphasis on that. I, <laughs> I, 
I, I'm not like I said, I'm not as up on Craigslist as I was when I was really sort of working the gig economy, but I'm pretty sure I heard they finally got rid of the uh, dating uh, ads <laughs> that they used to have because like, oh, thank goodness. What a nightmare that had to be. <laughs> Man, All right, the, the misconnections was always my favorite where it's like, <laughs> wow, you know, yeah. if I saw you at the Walmart over on Second Street. Mm, you and that tank top that was hanging down a little too low and though and what was obviously your daughter's shorts that was a size too short <laughs> yeah i'm laughing and the sad thing is i know exactly what you're talking about so i don't know who the people were that posting but i can say that when i was super bored i would read them i mean what's hilarious is like you can tell what they were looking at from the ad like they didn't say oh yeah blonde hair blue eyes about 510 no they said yeah you were wearing that tank top, short shorts, flip flops. Your toes weren't clipped, <laughs> and it's like you could tell just by reading them that they're weird. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I I will reserve judgment as best I can, but uh, suffice it to say, my advice to people, if anything like that still exists, is go find something more productive to do with your time. <laughs> nah, nowadays we got Tinder. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was married by the by the time that thing showed up, so uh, <laughs> I'm I'm free and clear there. <laughs> no experience whatsoever. <laughs> no, although although you know what, I will tell you, uh, not to to deviate us too much. I did actually meet my wife on uh, Match.com, so it was around. And um, I just say to people that for anybody that dated outside of college, realizes that it gets to be a little more unregulated. I don't know if that's, that's not the right way to say it, but I, I, most of my interesting, I use interesting in air quotes, dating experiences happened after college when you're just out and about and the bar scene and all that kind of stuff. So when I was first giving the online world a shot, it was still maybe a little bit stigmatized, but uh, again, it, it beats the singles bar scene, in my opinion, any day. And you can weed out people that <laughs> don't mix with you very, very quickly. So I'm all about the well thought out online experiences. But from what I understand from a Tinder, that's not where you want to be if you're looking for a long-term relationship, at least anyway. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we'll, we'll do a smooth transition here. Speaking of long-term, financial independence, you touched on that a little bit earlier. So how did you get more from, you know, graduating college, paying off debt, working the nine to five? Where did it click that financial independence was a thing? And how, how have you gone through progressing towards that goal? The first time that I understood the concept was... When I started a blog for a very short amount of time, it happened to be a position I was in where I had a lot of time on my hands, just to be very honest. And so I started to try to figure out ways that I could be more productive at work as far as side hustles was concerned. So I thought, okay, I'll give a blog a try. I only did it for about six months, but it was around being financially savvy and saving money, not necessarily financial independence. But one of the blogs that I found, and shout out here to retireby40.org, and he was an engineer, I think software engineer, who documented that a lot of the things I mentioned as far as health is concerned was having stress headaches and working crazy hours and went through his whole story of trying to become financially independent. And as the name of the website indicates, right at the age of 40, so that he could go on and do other things and get away from the stress. So for anybody that is familiar with the financial blogging world, it's a 
great community. Honestly, I had nothing but positive interactions with all the people that had the different websites and, and being able to hold each other accountable. So I learned a lot there. And it wasn't really until a little bit later on, again, probably when kids came into the picture that I really started to consider it for myself. Again, emphasis for me, it, it, luckily not from the standpoint that I was looking to get out of my job or that there was just undue stress, really just for the overall flexibility in case something like that would occur. The other moment I would say where it really clicked that it was possible for me to become financially independent was with our last home purchase. It's been a little while since I've researched what the standard advice is as far as what mortgage you can afford based on what your annual income is. But we ended up buying a house that we thought was going to be about one and a half to two times our annual income. And it just so happened based on both my wife's job and my job that it ended up being more like one time what our income was, which meant we could get really aggressive with the payments and, and uh, doing what we needed to do. Oh, to for sure. Yeah, to pay it off early. So so that was another that really was a, a flag for me that it, it was possible to uh, become financially independent. Uh, and then the other thing that helped with those blogs and so on is the different investment avenues to have access to money um, prior to that 59 and a half age. So I know you and I talked about before recording, um, like your, your dividend investments so that that way you've got a consistent amount that's coming in. I mentioned rental property being something else that's possible when you're getting that rent check that's coming through uh, bonds, for example, one example for, for especially in the non-tax uh, municipal bonds so that they're not getting taxed uh, and have a consistent payment coming out for those. So starting to really strategize that taxable account and having that available. And actually one other that I'll mention too as well that gave me an idea of not necessarily when, but that you could retire early. Um, my dad retired when he was 52. Uh, so I had that even as a model growing up. And his reasons for that is he wanted to be able to do a lot of traveling while he was still healthy and able. Uh, and then also his grandkids started to come into the picture. He wanted to be able to enjoy them as much as possible without having, you know, day job requirements to drag him down. So that was very much in the forefront for me as well. Oh, absolutely. That had to be a powerful thing to see. Like as you're, let's see. So if he was 50, you would have been what, maybe 30, uh, early or late twenties. Yeah, correct. Actually, I am pretty sure he retired like a year after I graduated college. So we were barely in the work world at the same time for much time at all. I think it was about a year. <laughs> so he that tagged was you in and dipped. Motivating. Exactly. And something else that he was able to do, this is another avenue that I don't have available to me, but uh, he worked through a time when pensions were still available. And long story short, he was able to do an early retirement package with the one company he was with, but then he was able to bridge his service to the new iteration of the company and then also retire with them. So basically he was able to get two pensions uh, through those retirement avenues. So one of the big things, of course, that would be a consideration for anybody retiring before 
65 is your health care. Uh, so his was actually covered as part of those pension programs, which is huge, <laughs> uh, to say the least, for your overall finances. Um, but it, again, point being, he knew it was in front of him. He was very savvy in using those vehicles to reach his goal and, and was able to do it. So it's nice to see where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. And at a very important time, you're graduating, getting your first job, and then you see your dad retiring 10 years before your quote unquote heavy sarcasm supposed to. Yeah. And you know, something else that you tend to hear as far as a deterrent for retiring early is, oh, you're going to lose purpose. You're going to lose focus. What else are you going to do? Well, he's been retired for over 15 years now, and I've never heard him say that he misses the his corporate job up to that point, again, between traveling and visiting with his his family and grandchildren, his family, meaning like my aunts and uncles that all still get together for like golf outings and stuff like that. And then obviously he, they've been very, very available for my kids and so on. So I, I think his plan has definitely worked the way he wanted it to. And uh, he does not fit the stereotype that you sometimes hear that oh, you're retired. What are you going to do? You're just going to go golf all day and then you'll just be bored and you, you'll hate it. Oh, for sure. So let me ask you this. So you graduate college, you see your father graduate, and then it's you and your wife. I imagine your wife's still in school because doctors require a whole lot of school. How did you how did you bring the financial independence message to your wife? And like, how did you get her on board? Travel really has been the big one. So she, she is out of school now, um, and that was really the way that we were able to attack her med school debt was once she was done with residency, and, and she, she's actually a part owner of the practice that she's at. So gave us the ability to, to really attack that. But uh, yeah, she probably got really tired of hearing me say early on that I'm definitely not going to work all the way till I'm 65. I mean, that was always a given separate from being way ahead of the game or not, or what the actual age was going to be. I just always put out the statement pretty early on that um, I, I had no intention of working all the way until I was 65. But really, I, again, I think it's the travel part. She actually has some doctors in her group who, heck, there's one, he takes a number of months off and will go travel everywhere. I mean, like, you know, two and three month excursions where he gets to stay places for, I think, multiple weeks on end to really experience the culture. And then she's got other colleagues that work what we would consider part time, frankly, <laughs> like less than five <laughs> days a week, and then also take a certain amount of PTO where they're going a lot of ways. So I think I was more into travel as a retirement goal than she was at first. But once the kids just got old enough to where we could take them on some vacations. She got a bit of a taste of that and has really taken to it. And that's where the conversations have really, really accelerated into flexibility and where do we want to go? What do we want to be able to do? Now, we've gotten a bit of a on hold, needless to say, with COVID going on. For example, this year we were supposed to go to Alaska and then we we're going to go to Turks and Caicos. Both of those were canceled. So oh, definitely. We, we, just like the rest of the world, we've got to wait here a little while longer. But uh, she actually, even with us starting to start planning for the year after, assuming we're in a place where, where we're able to do that, I can see the spark coming back to her where she and I were both deflated 
uh, with not being able to, you know, have the travel plans ready to go that we had already had, but I could see it coming back as she's doing this planning um, and sort of seeing a little bit of light. So, so yeah, I think it's really been with the travel and, and also seeing what her colleagues are able to do with uh, not doing the standard work to a certain age and then wait to retire. That's really gotten us on the same page. Uh, I'm sure it does. I mean, it seems like you both each had like independently your own sort of visualizations of seeing it, seeing other people have it and then realizing it's possible and really reaching out and going for it. Yeah, I, I think so. And the other thing that I always like to pick on her about and I talk about on my show all the time is I had no idea she was a Disney fiend until we started <laughs> traveling. And, and that's the other that really turned it on for her. So we did our first Disney World vacation last September because that was the last year before our oldest hits kindergarten. And of course, it's much cheaper to be able to go during off times. So we did that. And man, she planned and planned and planned. And we were up at like 530 every morning and, you know, nearly closing the park down. And this is with a three and a five year old. Um, actually, they weren't even that old then. They were two and four. <laughs> uh, and, and then we did a Disney cruise actually right in February. So right before everything had occurred. <laughs> and uh, that also was the thing that sort of really amped her up. But uh, yeah, there's something to be said even for married couples, making sure you're on the same page. We definitely have a lot of conversations about the fact that I don't really have a good feel for what her day is like being a physician and going to see patient to patient. But likewise, she doesn't really have a good appreciation for uh, my office job and doing you know, project work that you know can last over days over days and sitting in front of a screen all day long. <laughs> so uh, definitely coming together and just your workday perspectives and then seeing how that meshes with being on the same page with finance and just overall life is, is really important. Yeah, I think it's hilarious that, so my girlfriend is also a Disney fiend. She did the Disney college program and I'm pretty sure that that's just a cult because every person I know that has ever done that has become obsessed. All their Facebook posts are all Disney and oh my God, I can't wait to come back. I don't know what kind of Kool-Aid they're given there, but every person I know who's done the Disney college program has become obsessed. They collect the pins, they collect the hats, where's the hidden Mickey? Like it's everything. So well, I, yeah, I'm sure she doesn't need it, but uh, if she wants to compare uh, a Disney world vacation travel plan, our third episode was actually with my wife and I going through what we liked and what we didn't like in a very, very thorough itinerary. So if you guys are looking for uh, a way to compare, <laughs> check out, check out our third episode. Oh Lordy. All right. Quick shout out to uh, one of my three listeners, Olivia. Uh, be sure you go check out his third episode. That is going to be the suburban folk podcast. And if you're listening to this and you're not sure of what it was, shoot me a text. I'll send you a link. <laughs> just, <laughs> right on. Just note, a note to self, but not so much to me, because I know she's going to listen to this. And if she doesn't, I'm going to be very disappointed and sad. But anyway, I, uh, I had to introduce financial independence to her several times, and it never really clicked with her. So at a certain point, I'm a big dividend person. I'm a big proponent of not drawing down on your assets more building them up and then the income off of them supplies all the money I could ever need. And then if the worst case scenario kind of thing happens, then I can start selling shares. So I'm huge into dividends. So what I did was I looked up Disney or this is like the third time I was trying to explain it to her. So I looked up Disney and Disney was paying like a 2% dividend. And I was like, Hey, you remember what I told you about dividends, right? 
She's like, yeah, where like a company just does stuff and then just gives you money because you own it. I'm like, yeah. So if you think about it, so right now one share of Disney pays out, I don't know what it was, let's just say $2. One share of Disney pays out $2 a year. And do you know what that means? She's like, no, what? I'm like, there is a certain amount of shares of Disney World that you can have so that they will pay you to go to Disney for free. And that's the moment it clicked for her. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's a good example. And that's exactly right. And, I, and I'm right there with you. I, I don't think we had talked about that yet as far as in the financial independence world. I mean, I guess you could do the calculation to figure out what the savings you've amassed and a drawdown, just like you would expect a financial advisor to do with a more traditional retirement plan. But I found more often than not people that are pursuing financial independence have the exact same perspective you just mentioned that you don't expect to be drawing down on the savings. You're expecting something like a dividend to be paid out and that's what you're living on so that you're not taking any chunks out of the principal essentially. Yeah. And she was definitely big on the fact that because if you never draw down on the, on the base, the principle of it, that it's just going to keep paying money forever, even past when you die. So I really sold her on not only could we build up a certain amount of money that you could live off of just the income out of it without doing withdrawals, but when we die, you put it in a trust and it pays out. And that's a college education fund for kids, grandkids, great grandkids, you know, forever, as long as you don't touch the principal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So while we're on it, let's let's talk about more about financial independence. How how do you kind of go towards it? I know we talked about debt pay down, but how about like investing? Like what else do you do to build up that financial standing to be able to live off of that? It's really for me keeping a very close eye on what our taxable accounts are. And so the couple of investments again that we I think have mentioned is is emphasis on dividends, emphasis on bonds where it makes sense. Uh, for the most part, it's municipal bonds, I think, in, in my portfolio, just from the tax advantage standpoint. Uh, I currently do not have any rentals, but that is part of the plan once we're done with our mortgage that I'd be looking at a couple of rentals, both like beach vacation type rentals, as well as a couple local ones here. Um, again, I, I think it simplifies a lot of the income equation because you're actually seeing that monthly check come in, which feels very much like <laughs> the monthly check coming in from, from your day job. So those are really the, the main couple of avenues that I have. And to be honest with you, it's been a little while since I've gone out on some of the other websites and so on to see if there's other avenues that I should be looking at beyond just those ways to draw down money and, and have money available. So I, I keep it pretty simple from, from those standpoints. And really, I kind of fiddle between two to three, and then even up to 4% to see what we've got in those taxable accounts for the money that's available uh, compared to the money that we're spending. Now, another distinction I don't think we've talked about as well is another definition for me of financial independence is that it pays for your needs. So I'd go back to the scenario we kicked off with that if I lost my job, I'm not going to go on an extravagant vacation or buy a new car or other things like that. And so that's my benchmark as well for financial independence is, as I've mentioned, I plan on traveling quite a bit. I don't have that in my equation for the amount of investment income that I need to have in order to consider myself financially independent. It's really more of like, 
are you in a position that if there's nothing else coming in, you're able to keep your house, keep your general day-to-day lifestyle? If that's a yes, then that puts me where I want to be. But those additional wants would then be above and beyond that, at least as far as my calculation is concerned. Now, fully intend to continue saving and hey, it'll be nice when those get added into the overall calculation. But uh, at this point, that's not my definition. And again, even in the FIRE world, I think people can debate a little bit about what their definition of financial independence is. So right or wrong, that's where my stance is. And yeah, we really keep it pretty simple as far as the investments are concerned. I I will say that I do have a financial advisor. And I know that can sometimes be a debate for people, whether or not you're getting what you're paying for, (laughs) essentially. Um, But once we started to do more than just maxing out the retirement avenues and needing to be as savvy as possible and making sure that I even just had an extra eye on the types of investments, uh, we did go ahead and do that. So I don't know, I guess maybe that's a little bit up for debate too, depending on the financial person that you talk to, whether or not uh, you're getting your money's worth quite literally from an advisor. For sure. And I do want to, I do want to clarify a couple of things that we had mentioned in the last couple of minutes here. So the overall definition of financial independence and which does match your definition of it perfectly is that financial independence isn't you make $50,000 a year, the income you're getting off your investments is $50,000 a year. So that way you can pay for all of your base expenses and then, you know, you have some left over for going to a baseball game or, you know, fun stuff. Financial independence, or rather when you reach financial independence, is basically you can cover your necessities, not so much you can have fun. So if your mortgage plus car payment plus groceries, you know, the stuff you actually need and would spend every month, if that's $20,000 a year and you're making $20,000 a year off your investments, that's financial independence. Not that you have fun money in your pocket, but that if you lose your job, you're not going to starve. You're not going to get kicked out of whatever place you're living. Yeah, exactly. And I think for people that are interested in pursuing financial independence tend to be very aggressive savers. And actually, that was one of my first challenges was taking the amount that I had as savings goals out of the equation. (laughs) Because I know this sounds really stupid, but in my mind, it's hard to not consider the amount I'm saving as necessary to always save. But really said another way. It's no, it's whatever the expenses are. That's the number that you have to hit. And if you can keep saving, great. But that's the equation. It's not all the extra stuff. And yeah, also emphasis. I think people can sometimes think whatever they make is what they need to be making in retirement whenever retirement is. And I certainly hope in most cases that's not the case because if you think you need that much in retirement, that means you're not saving anything now. That means you're pretty much spending it all. So be very mindful of the difference between the money that's going out and what you're spending on a monthly basis as compared to what's coming in. And they shouldn't be the same number. So you shouldn't have to shoot for matching what your exact salary is. For sure. Like I, that's perfect. Nail on the head. I don't have <laughs> anything to add. So in the interest of saving as much as you can or making as much as you can, if you're not in a, say, really high workflow environment, what is your opinion on side hustles? I, I love them. I Even when I don't need them, it seems like I continue to pursue them. Maybe I have a sickness when it comes to making sure that I feel like I'm being productive. I don't know. <laughs> but um, no, I, I going back to one of the 
first things that I was talking about, I think that side hustles serve a lot of purposes. One, if you can compare your day job to an investment strategy, of course, the phrase don't have all of your eggs in one basket is very much something that you should follow for investing. And as much as you can for your income, I think it's worth having the same mantra. So I know we keep coming back to losing your job. That seems to be one of the themes we're talking about a lot here. <laughs> but if you do have some kind of a side hustle, uh, at least if you do lose your main source of income, you haven't gone from certain salary to zero. You've gone from certain salary to whatever else uh, you have going on. I can't overemphasize networking. It is huge. Even if you're not like planning on getting into a different industry or something like it's just the best avenue, in my opinion, for being able to further your career and just having options overall. So the more side hustles you have, the larger your network's going to be, the more contacts you're making. Uh, it, it just gives you more options in general. And also, as far as what to do with side hustle money, hopefully whatever you're getting there uh, is going straight to savings. Uh, I mean, obviously there are people that are working multiple jobs and they need to do that just to make ends meet. But if that's the case, I would say try as much as you can to get to a point where you're able to just save that money. Here's maybe a, a tip that I wish I would have done when I was first doing side hustles is if your day job has a 401k, which hopefully it does, try to max that out as much as you possibly can, you know, say save till it hurts and then flip it the other way around, just live on the side hustle or live on, on the rest of what you've got. That was one I didn't really necessarily do. I was only sort of putting in a certain amount of a 401k at first, uh, I've switched it since then. Whereas I could have probably regarded the side hustles a little more of my living expenses while using the other savings avenues available to me. But yeah, I, I think it's something that almost everybody should pursue unless the job that you have is absolutely your passion is absolutely the one thing that you want to be doing, I think people should be but should be looking at it. And if I can plug one of my newest side hustles <laughs> that I've just started to look into is financial coaching. For those interested in finance, I think most people are aware of Dave Ramsey. And so as part of the Suburban Folk podcast, I went to a podcast seminar that focused a lot on services that you might offer. And frankly, at the time, I was thinking, well, I'm not really sure what service I'm offering other than just the podcast. That was kind of what I went to the seminar for, but it got me thinking of whether or not I should have other services. And very quickly, naturally, personal finance, financial coaching came to mind. And so a Dave Ramsey ad actually came across. I'm sure my phone was listening to me and that's the first thing that popped up. Uh, so did some research there and uh, liked what the concept is. And also, as much as I enjoy getting into my own investments, I really am not that interested in being a financial advisor for others. Uh, my joke lately has been the nightmare that must have been March, for example, you know, when the stock market went down and so on. I know I was calling my advisor quite a bit and <laughs> I'm sure plenty of other people were as well. So I'm not really that interested in that part of it, but getting people on the right path for their budgets and are they saving enough for retirement and what else do they need to be doing? Again, side hustles, uh, sort of an added thing that I am <laughs> bringing to the table of what else can you do to increase your income if, if you need to be able to. So anyway, that is uh, a side hustle even now that I am getting ready to offer to the world. I'm finishing up the training at the end of this month and we'll be advertising. So uh, if anybody is interested in having me get them on the tra right track for, for financial coaching, um, 
I would be more than happy to, to talk to them. But uh, again, just really bring that up for practicing what I preach. I am very much a proponent of continuing to further your skills and always maximizing your, your time. So what's the link? How do you recommend people reach out to you? I, through the podcast. Uh, it's So suburbanfolk.com is the podcast website. And then my email is greg at suburbanfolk.com. And if you really are interested in the financial coaching piece, I can give my phone number. Uh, it's 717-856-5709. Um, and I assume we could probably post that into the show notes again for folks that are really interested in, in taking some next steps. And basically you call me up, we would go through a consultation for what your savings goals or an overall finance goals are, and then make a plan from there and then have a, a larger session to lay everything out. If you don't have a budget, create a budget. If you do have a budget, really analyze it and see where you need to go. And again, I know I mentioned it, but it is worth repeating that where a financial coach stops and a financial advisor starts is I can tell you what your savings percentages should be from a goal standpoint. But as far as the actual investments, that's when I would refer you over to a financial advisor uh, to go through those specific options because a coach is not licensed to uh, actually sell equities and, and get into all of that portion. Gotcha. And you stole my line. I was going to say, all these links are going to be in the description below, but you know what? You beat me to it. <laughs> it's almost like I do a podcast. <laughs> you know, it that thought did strike me. <laughs> so we're going to have the podcast, the website, uh, his email address, and the phone number all in the description below. Or if you're watching on YouTube, it's still going to be in the description below. But I just wanted to shout it out that the show is on YouTube and we are having this up there. It's going to be published well, if you're listening to this, it's published. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Greg, any last-minute words of wisdom? I think that's it. Other than going back to the show and all of the different topics that we talk about, I think something that binds them all together is discipline. And any of the topics that we talk about, I try to make them accessible so that people don't just cross their eyes and turn it off because uh, we're using a bunch of jargon that people don't know. But being disciplined in your health, in your finances, in home improvement, parenting, so on. Don't get so overwhelmed by whatever your ultimate goal is. Figure out what you need to do for that day to get incrementally better at whatever the activity is, and you'll find that you will get there uh, in all of these facets of life. So stick with it and stay disciplined. Perfect. Can't put that any better myself. So everyone, if you're listening to this and you lasted to the end, Hey, thank you. Good job. This is a long episode. Proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> also, we kind of blew through a lot of topics. Usually when I'm interviewing people, I'll stop them every couple seconds and be like, wait, what was that again? Let's go ahead and cover that just so everyone knows what's up. But with this episode, we had so much stuff that we wanted to cover that there were a couple terms that probably just got passed up. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the episode, feel free to tweet me at Main Street Money or send me an email at MainStreetFinance at gmail.com. Both of those are going to be in the description below. Greg, last two questions that I like to ask everybody. One, did you have fun? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a blast. I like talking money and I love podcasts, so my favorite things. Hot diggity. Second question, that is the important one. Would you ever want to come back? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, like you said, as long as... Uh, people think I'm interesting, I am happy to come back and take another swing at it. This has been great. Well, all righty. Now, as you know, for the four of you that are still listening, all we need is two of you to say you enjoyed it. 
and he's got the he's got the majority vote to come back. <laughs> awesome. Maybe maybe I'll throw in uh, a free consultation or something if people vote for it. <laughs> Ooh, now we got a giveaway going. Might even throw in a book. There's all kinds of fun stuff. I do have a bunch of finance books I could give away. I don't know. We might <laughs> might see if we can't make that work. Nice. <laughs> well, Greg, thank you for coming on. We had a lot of fun. And for the audience out there, I'll see you guys next week.